Well, welcome to another edition of the Destination Polaris podcast. Our podcast is brought to you by Rugged Radios. Uh, right now, if you are out in California, you are aware that King of the Hammers is going on, and Rugged's got their Rugged Garage out there. And if you've never been to an event, doesn't have to be King of the Hammers, any events that Rugged is at, stop by their place. They are amazing. Uh, they will, if you've got problems with your gear, your communications, most of the time, they will fix it for free. Yeah, no cost. Plus, if you want to get new gear, uh, upgrade your stuff, what have you, Rugged has got you covered. Uh, so, and, if, and of course, if you can't meet them up at an event, go online, check out ruggedradios.com. Rugged Radios is your authority in communication. Well, we are off to a great start to 2022. Uh, myself, I just got back from a trip in Baja, uh, California, uh, down in Baja Sur last week, we were filming an episode, lots of details coming up on that, a podcast coming up on that here. Uh, I believe the next one, but today we have a very special guest, someone that I have known since basically I started doing the TV show 13 years ago. And that is Frank Keen. Frank, how are you, sir? Good. How are you, sir? Good. If you don't know Frank Keen or you haven't come across Frank, um, you need to get to know him because Frank I, I feel like when uh, we were doing stuff or showing up at events, you're always there. <laughs> yep. Frank, how did how did you sort of uh, become such an integral part of the industry? Because I feel like there's a lot of guys uh, who work in the industry and stuff like that, but you weren't somebody necessarily worked in the industry, but all of a sudden you became sort of a go-to, de facto, someone that had a ton of knowledge in it. Well, you know, I started uh, uh, 14 years ago, somewhat similar to what you did, and and uh, I was blessed to be the administrator of the RZR Forum, and uh, 122,000 members worldwide, and 2.9 million posts to date. Um, I also administer multiple social media and own and operate a desert event center called Razorville in the New Mexico desert, you know, and... Uh, you know, prior to that, uh, the, the side-by-sides, uh, of course, we had quads and, and did a little uh, motocross with a Penton KTM. Now, when you were doing RZR forums uh, and the forum world was going crazy, what was that like to be a part of when people were just going there for information, questions, guidance, everything? Yeah, I've been the administrator for well, the last uh, 12 years. You know, we're at 122,000 members worldwide with over 2.9 million posts. Um, so it's grown and, and continues to grow and uh, uh, also administer multiple social media pages and operate the Desert Events Center called Razorville in New Mexico. Is that uh, still the, the number one site when people have uh, Razor questions or comments to, that they can go to? Yeah, you know, it's interesting with the advent of social media and everything, um, most of the comments I see is that, you know, social media is fine for posting a picture of your ride or, or what you may have added to your machine. But when it comes time for any technical stuff uh, or serious maintenance, uh, the forum is still the place to go. Yeah, absolutely. What, what kind of information, uh, Frank, can people get when they go there? Well, the most valuable thing they get is, uh, first of all, the maintenance of their machine. You know, I've worked with Polaris for many years and, and helped with some warranty claims and, and give you an idea is that, you know, I'll have a guy say, well, you know, 
I dusted my engine and Polaris is uh, not covering it under warranty. And my question is, well, when was the last time you serviced the air filter? And the answer comes back is, where is the air filter? <laughs> tell them it, tell it, it's next to the blinker fluid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So it's a, uh, it's a, uh, it's a good educational spot. And, um, and, and the membership is always willing, you know, to help a new user without degrading them and saying, you know, you don't understand, you haven't done your homework. Uh, so we've got a good group of guys and I've got a good group of moderators that work for me that, uh, that handle the day to day and, and, and forward and answer those questions for these people. So it's a kind of a safe place to go to say, Hey, I'm new to this and, and, and how do I do this and what do I expect and so on and so forth. I'm going to get to your, uh, what you got going on in New Mexico here in a little bit, but, but you bring up an interesting point, Frank, uh, sometimes, and what I've learned over the years is getting involved in this sport can be intimidating. You know, you've got to get a machine, you've got a trailer machine, where do I ride? How do I service and stuff like that? And, and having a forum is, is probably a valuable tool for a lot of people. Yeah, not only, you know, just having the form, but, you know, then, as I mentioned earlier, you know, with uh, the form rides that we started to do were really educational. So we had new new riders came out and, um, and you know, we gently explained to them how this works and what the machines are capable of. And, and then tell them to, look, follow our lines and we'll take you through, you know, some, some difficult trails and put your hand up if you're not if you're not comfortable and we'll come back and educate you. And, uh, and it's really worked out well, rather than, you know, degrading them that you don't understand us, you don't understand that. Everybody starts out as a, as a new user and a learner in this sport. And the more people that we can educate in, first of all, how to operate them and maintain them safely, and then what's expected of you, um, you know, when you use this machine on public lands, all of those things are really important. And, and without intimidating them, I think that the, the group rides... Uh, have really had an impact on thousands of people across the country. I totally agree. I totally agree. And I want to talk about the group rides, but I want to hear your story, Frank, because I do find it interesting that you were sort of like a, a, you know, adult onset to this uh, off-road world. You didn't start when you were a kid or anything like that. You were later, much later in life. Yep, 57, actually, when I started with the first uh, Polaris uh, 900. And... Um, my first 900 was a first affectionately named the Tow Lady by my forum members because we were towing back all the modified races, races that had the high booster engines in the mountain glamours. And, uh, and ironically, the car was equipped with multiple cameras. So it was kind of the ride of shame to be towed back and <laughs> be It'd be videotaped. Many people had their hands up over their face. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> the totally. Frank, what made you sort of want to get into the sport, and how did you get into the sport? Well, you know, um, we had my family. I have five kids, and so we had quads. And before that, I was an avid dirt bike rider and actually uh, did a little motocross on a KTM Penton 250. But, uh, Jared, as you know, what they say, with age comes a cage. <laughs> yes, of course. Yeah. So, uh, um, you know, after the tow lady had about 10,000 miles on it, uh, tree from MTX Turbo, we converted to, to an air-to-water turbo upgrade. And, of course, the full membership was right behind it and renamed it the Turbo Lady. 
<laughs> which is now uh, uh, pretty famous, and, and I am now on the Turbo Lady 5 as far as builds. <laughs> and I do have questions about that, too, as well. For someone, Frank, you started when you were 57. For someone who wants to get into off-roading, doesn't matter where they live in the country, what are some great pieces of advice that you can uh, dole out? Well, take your time and choose a machine that fits what your desires are. So if you want to run fast all out in the desert, then that's the type of machine you should be looking at. If you want to do what I call the smell the roses ride and take the family out on weekends, that's what you should be looking for. Um, quite frankly, so many people make that mistake, and I, and I see that question on the forum and social media, well, should I buy this one, should I buy that one? Well, those people responding aren't you, and they don't know what your desires are. Do you have four kids or three kids and you want to take them out to the desert? You should be looking at a four-seater, and you're not going to be uh, jumping over the dunes, so uh, uh, you may not necessarily need a turbo. So if you have those intelligent conversations, the, the satisfaction level of what if they buy the right machine is very, very high. On the other side of that, of course, you have the younger guys who buy what was available and then realize that they do want to jump the dunes and glamorous and they need something more high performance. And um, so we try to educate them in that first half of it so that they don't go through the uh, uh, enormous financial losses that, uh, that I have concurred learning those things. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's been a lot of trial and error for you. Now, yes. I remember sort of the first time, Frank, that we sort of crossed paths is when you were doing and you talk about these group rides and people ask me sometimes too, what's sort of the best way to get involved. And, and I will often say to them, you know, connect with the local ATV club in your area, you know, go to one of their meetings, get to know people, uh, see, you know, ask them questions in person. Uh, and, and cause everyone in this community, uh, you know, is, is super nice as you know, over the years. And they're a very helpful because they all know, they were that person at some point too, typically, Amen. you know, Amen. and so they're willing to, to bestow. It's not like this. I'm not going to share with you this secret <laughs> that I know about. And so I tell them, you know, get with your local ATV, but maybe go out on a ride, maybe borrow a machine, maybe ride along with somebody. And you were doing group rides in uh, Taylor Park, Colorado for a number of years. Talk about those rides frank and what it's like to to ride in taylor park because that is i get a question a lot of of you know where's one of the where are the best places to ride and you know i'll mention taylor park often because i hear it from other people that uh, it is one of the premier riding locations in the country yeah yeah it is you know i did uh um you know i expanded after after starting the rides in glamis and uh and realizing um you know a variety of different riding terrains that it was important that we expand to different parts of the country and, and expand these rides for, you know, people that may locally ride the mountains, not the dunes. And so, uh, hence we started Taylor Park in a little meadow called the Ballpark Meadow, meadow up there in, in Colorado. And um, I think uh, it started with 60 people. And nine years later, the last one we did had 1,200 people with 700 razors there. Oh my gosh. <laughs> What what is the riding like there? Well, what can you see? You name it. First of all, um, I'm a lover of wildlife, so you can see 
uh, you know, everything from moose and, and baby uh, calves, moose running along the side of the trail. Many people have seen uh, multiple brown bears and black bears, uh, elk and deer uh, in abundance, and uh, just some beautiful, beautiful views, as, as you saw when you came from 11 and 12,000 feet vistas. I think that's what is probably the biggest attraction for a lot of people is those views on that and that ride. And I think there's one particular view that people go to a lot. Is there not, or one area on that ride? Well, Flag Mountain is uh, is a is a beautiful spot on top of the mountain with a huge American flag on it, and that's uh, a kind of a special place for us all to at least visit and, and pay our respects. That's where a lot of the photos come from, isn't it? Yes, it is, sir. <laughs> I remember. Were you in charge of the the cooking out there? Were you doing uh, chili or someone doing chili? Because that was a big uh, big draw. <laughs> was, uh, you know, there. as I started in in Glamis, actually, uh, one of the one of the interesting things in the sport was, um, you know, a lot of people being new. There was a lot of, you know, my machine is better than yours, and basically what an older guy calls trash talking. So. Uh, it started in Glamis after me seeing a couple of these uh, things go on and said, well, I've always believed the way to get people together and, and talking is uh, by breaking bread with them. So uh, I dragged a 60-foot tent out there and made uh, oh, 89 gallons of my somewhat famous buffalo spaghetti sauce and fed 60, 70 people a night after long days in Dooning. And uh, it was amazing because... You know, people that were arguing two hours before would sit around the table and then talk. And it didn't matter what machine you drove. Uh, you know, people became lifelong friends and, and, and started to help each other in, in, in suspension settings and, and what type of fuel and, and all of those kind of things. So I expanded that to uh, the Taylor Park, the North Glamis Ride and the Trails End Ride in Tennessee and continued to uh, um, bring out this uh, spaghetti sauce and feed people at the end of the day. And, you know, Polaris, when they came to Taylor Park uh, on one of the first rides, said, what, an, what a great concept. Um, you know, you guys ride all day. You never leave anybody out there. And at the end of the day, you bring them back and sit them around a fire and feed them a great meal. And everybody talks about, the, the, you know, the ride and their machines and so on and so forth. So it became a real educational experience. And people, new people to the sport, Jared, really got welcomed very easily and fit in without any intimidation, you know, and they were there like, well, yeah, I don't know about this. Or how do I tune my shocks and this and that? And, uh, and it just became a very constructive way to educate people and get them together. And, and people became lifelong friends. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think for a lot of people, Frank, it, it felt like it opened their eyes to a world that they didn't even know existed. Oh, for sure. I mean, the, the, you know, from from Tennessee all the way back to Glamis and Taylor Park, uh, um, there was new people, you know, and I mean hundreds of new people attending these events. And uh, and they would just lament at, boy, we just never knew. First of all, we never knew how capable these machines could be. Um, and, and we were somewhat intimidated, but we never knew there was, there was such a group of kind people that would... Uh, you know, educate us gently, feed us, and, uh, and uh, tell us maybe what we need to do to modify our machines based on how they wanted to ride. So it became a very non-threatening existence. Was Polaris doing Camp Razor at the same time, or did your event sort of 
spark their mind to doing something out at Glamis a lot bigger? Well, I'll tell you, one year they came in and they must have brought 15 people. And um, engineers, uh, um, um, uh, engineers, developers, uh, uh, I'm trying to think, uh, I can't remember his name, but some of the senior marketing people and stuff like that came. And they were just in awe. They just kept coming back to me and saying, what a concept. Um, You invite people in. You educate them in a very non-threatening message on how to use their machines, how to respect the land. Then you take them out on a ride and you make sure everybody's back safely. Then you feed them and you sit around the campfire and talk about tomorrow's rides. They said, we hope you don't mind, but we want to expand on this and call it a Camp Razor. And you will be invited for the rest of your life to all of our Camp Razor. (laughs) As long as you bring your bullhorn, right? Uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't miss Frank out there. He's the guy first thing in the morning uh, telling everybody where to go and get lined up and group photo and all that sort of fun stuff. Well, Janet told me it started earlier when I would, uh, uh, you know, play the stereo real loud and say, wake up, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> time to get up, time to get up and start the day. Now, you've got a, a newer venture now uh, in the midst. What's going on with Razorville? Because I am, this is new to me, Frank. Okay, so a friend of mine, you know, being the last couple of uh, years, of course, we've suffered cancellations uh, because of COVID. Um, our last one was at North Glamis. Uh, uh, you know, I brought uh, three trailers and 10 people out there, and we set up until one o'clock in the morning out at North Glamis. And at three o'clock in the morning, a governor announcement comes on that. Uh, they are stopping all food deliveries to non-essential, and that uh, they're going to close the border. So we uh, unpacked everything back up into the trailers and drove through the early mornings to get back over the border to New Mexico. So having said that, we, you know, we said uh, um, in my desire to continue to ride and, and do these types of events, a friend of mine had called me and said, you know, I, he had just bought an acre of undeveloped land out in the desert of New Mexico. And he thought it might be a great place to ride. So I went out and visited with him and uh, saw some potential. I immediately purchased three adjoining acres so that we now have four square acres out there. Then we added uh, two connexes, uh, 2,500-gallon water tank, porta potties, high-speed internet, and uh, 150 tons of crusher fine to level and hard-pack the area. And... Uh, so it's become a wonderful spot in the desert for weekend rides, swap meets, and charitable events. And my passion behind it was to raise the bar with our local officials and national officials to show them that the bulk of the off-road community are basically responsible individuals who care about accessing public lands. You know, being a newer sport, you know, we have younger people that buy these things and are not fortunate enough to find us or know about us, and, and off they go and and. You know, we've had some land uh, destruction that we've had to deal with that, uh, that we went and actually did some, um, some repairs and, and got some great notification from the Forest Service. Uh, and, you know, if we want to continue to develop those relationships and, and kind of show that uh, the bulk of this community is a responsible community and, and, and the Forest Service locally here and out of Washington has recognized that. And we want to continue that so that goes across the country. Now, Razorville, unless I miss it, where is that located in New Mexico? It's in Rio Rancho, which is about 14 miles outside of Albuquerque. And uh, so we have uh, 
about, uh, easily speaking, 800 miles of trails directly from Razorville. And uh, so people can come and, and park there. It's a fenced security area with uh, uh, multiple cameras. And, and uh, as I said, the facilities are porta potty, uh, Wi Fi, uh, three of the connexes are solar powered and stuff. And uh, so we invite people out every Sunday morning and feed them coffee and donuts and take them out to the desert. That's awesome. And that's a free thing, right? I mean, there's no charge or anything. Never yeah. been a charge. Never been a charge. Oh, man. Yeah. Now, I remember last time we were filming in New Mexico, we were in Red River, New Mexico, which is about three hours north of there. And Red River is uh, a, a ski town, but we were with the Polaris Adventures uh, locations there. And Polaris Adventures has got locations all over the country from geez maui to maine i think is what they say and so you can rent vehicles all over the all over the place so even if you uh, can't make it to say razorville you can still sort of rent a uh, polaris vehicle through polaris adventures in new mexico or in surrounding states and and go out for a ride and have a great day and then maybe the next time that you're out you can you can meet up with the guys from razorville and uh, so that's, that's a, it's a nice combination, Frank, that you can do e- either or. No, for sure. I mean, the, the availability, I mean, you can even rent a razor in Maui, uh, Hawaii right now. And, uh, and, uh, and that just helps, you know, grow the sport. And, and I've met some of the adventure people over the years and the, they do a great job of, uh, of promoting the same things that we are concerned with is, you know, adequate, uh, safety, and uh, capabilities of the machine, and more important, uh, you know, respecting the land that we're riding on. It, you know, it's a it's a benefit all the way around. Frank, you got into the sport later in life, and ever since I've known you, I feel like it means so much to you. Why is that? Well, it's been a passion of mine, and um, you know, I'm um, one of the one of the demographics that a lot of people in the beginning of the industry ignored was people in the older group. Um, now at 57 and even at 70, uh, I need to say that you know I can hang with the what we call the go fast group all day long. Um, <laughs> but but I realize that the bulk of the all the people and the demographics that are buying these machines, because as you know they're expensive these days, um, are people that that maybe considered the the smell the roses group that I talked about, and um, and you know in building them in the beginning, of course, they were very basic. And I think I had the first razor sold in New Mexico. And uh, in three and a half years, I put 22,000 miles on that vehicle, exploring the deserts out here. And then I realized things that, that uh, I and my demographic group would want, uh, some, some comfortable uh, you know, suspension seats, full doors, efficient lighting, you know, windshields and, and storage for carrying supplies. And, uh, and those types of things, as opposed to just the bare bones, let's go fast car. And that really, uh, you know, took my builds in those directions. And, uh, you know, so from the, tur- the first Turbo Lady to Turbo Lady 5, uh, there's probably a million social media hits of people that have been copying those. And, and I started uh, on Turbo Lady 4 producing uh, build sheets so that somebody could take that sheet to their dealer and say, hey, this is some of the things that I want you to do for my car. So uh, I tried to use my experience and the, the seat time that I had and 
and helping people uh, design and, and equip their cars the way that they wanted to ride them. That's uh, Frank, you're, you're leading me down a path. I want to talk about your custom built because I feel like you share more than anybody else what you're doing. You don't just, it isn't one day Frank has a bone stock machine and the next day he has a $60,000 customized machine. You're showing almost every step of the way. Yeah, and that was basically the goal, you know, and, and I, I, I really am passionate about the education of the machines, you know, not all, all parts of that. And so that means how do you make them, you know, uh, comfortable and, and capable for how you want to drive them, um, but, you know, how you use them and then your responsibility in using them, you know, on our public lands. So all of those things are important to me, but the 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 development of the machine and, and making it comfortable and efficient, you know, there was days when then people would uh, do 20 miles on a machine and they were done. Um, you know, I can do 110 miles on a machine at, at uh, 70 and I still have more to go because the machine was developed and built around, you know, a different demographics, comfortable, efficient, and creature comforts. Um, you know, uh, and so I've worked on a lot of different things. I, I was fortunate enough to work with, with Fox and Polaris when the new shocks came out and they were building them. And we did some testing down in Prim. Uh, in fact, I think you were there and, and I gave you and the guys a ride back to town, didn't I? You may, you may have. That sounds about right. That sounds yeah. about right. All right. Yeah. So here's, here's, here's a question, Frank. I mean, once, obviously, the, the big question is what machine is for me, right? And now yeah. once I got a machine, I see everybody else's customize their machine some way, somehow. So it's, it, it's just looks different, looks cool. It's mine, right? Yeah. Where, where, where do I start, right? I mean, because there are so many options when it comes to customizing your machine. Do I start with, you know, wheels and tires? Do I start with some sort of suspension modifications? Do I just get some comfy seats? Do I just put in a killer stereo? What's, you know, and, and maybe that's to each their own, but but where where do you like to start? Well, I like to tell people to start on things that are going to prevent them from getting home. <laughs> so... <laughs> So wheels and tires are crucial. Um, you know, most of the manufacturers will put uh, um, whatever tires are available under the bidding structure uh, on these cars when you buy them. Um, I've been running motor race Kevlar tires uh, since they were invented, and um, and uh, I don't I, I don't carry a spare, and I have never had a flat, and I'm talking about. Oh, maybe 200,000 miles over the years. And, 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 and it's impossible. 17 different cuts. Um, so I've never walked home. Uh, second thing is, uh, you know, uh, service and maintenance. Um, I told you the story about where's my filter. Uh, uh, so that's one of the things I do before our rides go out um, every Sunday morning is a little safety meeting, a safety check, your gas. Um, you know, and then we've had some, some tragedies from, from people not understanding things like, you know, you don't carry gas on the back of any one of these machines, no matter, no matter who makes it. Um, you know, that it's a dangerous situation. And uh, so I, I like to fun, you know, focus on, on what, what's going to allow you to get home. After that, it's, then it's going to be, you know, your creature comforts. Um, I believe suspension seats are extremely important because 
larger people and tall, heavier people um, can actually, you know, compress a regular stock seat on anybody's machine, not just Polaris, uh, down to the point where their tailbone will come in contact with the metal frame. And that's never good. So that and then, you know, of course, uh, I am an old school guy that likes a static six point harnesses. Uh, to be held in and in, in, you know tight and comfortably, uh, full doors would be another thing because it you know prevents those nasty uh, tree limbs up at Taylor Park from coming in and biting you in the thigh. So you know we kind of start right in those directions. Uh, but what's going to get you home is is your machine uh, maintained properly and and uh, you're not going to have a flat tire or break a wheel. Um, and uh, and after that it's comfort and. Uh, and conveniences that come with it. You know, stereo, effective lighting at night is very important. And then, uh, um, you know, I designed and built a storage box, uh, you know, many, many years ago that would carry a full complement of uh, tools and so that I could uh, repair and tow and, and salvage uh, vehicles that uh, weren't so uh, ready to go out in the field. Tools, is that one that often gets overlooked? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, we had a ride about three weeks ago, and it was a it was a gentleman's uh, first ride, and he ran over a, a little broken stump, which put a four inch hole in his tire. And uh, my first question is, well, do you have a compressor and plugs, right? No. <laughs> well, <laughs> we do, we do, uh, and you know, but that education process was not to you know, criticize him, it was to say, now this is an opportunity to let us know what you should be carrying. Um, you know, it's uh, four or five years ago, I came across a guy in, a, in one of the uh, Razor Scramblers, I think it was called, out in the desert wash, and one of his bolts on his uh, thyroid came off. So he wasn't going anywhere, and he had been out there six hours. And I pulled up and said, well, let me see. And I opened my box, and lo and behold, after 10 minutes of searching, I had a bolt for his tie rod. And, uh, and so the first thing he did that next Monday morning was go down to his dealer and buy a bag of bolts mm-hmm. <laughs> so that, that he no could doubt. carry them. Yeah, no yeah. And, and those, are, you know, those are slim and few type repairs, but uh, um, I've always been accused of carrying way too much stuff, uh, hence uh, Justin from Shock Therapy, uh, says, uh, what do you got, 300 pounds back there now? <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you mentioned shock therapy because we're doing a Project X build with them here coming up in a uh, few months. I believe it's early April. So uh, they're, they, they've uh, sort of new for us and 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 doing stuff with them. So we're excited. And, and Frank, you, you mentioned lots of custom stuff. And obviously we have Project X, which is a big part of our television show because everyone wants to customize. And you didn't mention them, but I'm going to mention a couple here real quick of, of some of the people that we work with. And and, and number one being Rockford Fosgate. Um, they are the global leader in car audio design and engineering. Uh, we use Rockford on almost all of our Project X builds. Uh, I'm not sure they're at it, King of the Hammers, but I wouldn't be surprised if they are. They've got the Stage 5, the Stage 6, it's everything you need, front speakers, back speakers, subwoofer, satellite radio. The box has everything in it. Uh, Frank would attest to that because <laughs> he carries everything in his vehicles. Uh, 
Rockford Fosgate can take your audio to the next level. And of course, if you're going to have all of those speakers, you need something to power them. And that's where full throttle comes in. Full throttle batteries are designed to handle the increase in power that you need when you accessorize your vehicle. Just like with Rockford, we use full throttle batteries because they're powerful enough to handle all the extra audio, lighting, you name it. From professionals to weekend racers, weekend warriors, uh, full throttle battery is your battery of choice. And finally, I know they're out there. Assault Industries is out at King of the Hammers right now. And uh, if you want to personalize your vehicle in the biggest way, smallest way, anyway, Assault has got you covered. They design and manufacture high-performance accessories for the off-road industry. Uh, Assault was big on their mirrors, and since then, they've blown up in the last few years. Every time a new machine comes out, Assault is right there launching parts and accessories to go along with it. That's what I love about them. They're so dialed in, so in tune to what's going on in the industry. You get a new vehicle, you go to their website, and Assault's got something for you on that vehicle. And I'm sure you've used, Frank, some of those companies to do your builds with over the years as well. Yes, let me just uh, uh, give kudos to Justin and Ernie of Shock Therapy who have uh, partnered with my builds over the last six years. Um, Marcello of Assault Industries, a good friend of mine, and I've got and used many of his things. And uh, as you might know, they were recently purchased uh, by Super ATV and Harold, the owner of that company, is a super guy. But I did want to mention I didn't that know that. The salt got, got purchased by Super ATV? They did. They I did. did not. When did that happen? Oh, about two weeks ago. Oh, my goodness, right? I want to text Marcelo right now. I know he's out. At, no kidding. That's yeah. interesting. Wow. I just spent some time with him out at the Mint, and uh, and uh, they've been in the works for a while. And, uh, and Harold, of Super ATV, is a good friend of mine as well. And... Uh, I had some opportunities to uh, to visit and tour his facilities, and he's just an amazing guy, amazing story of success. You know, started building a bumper in his garage, and and now has thirty five hundred employees worldwide. I know, I know. It's, company, it's, Super TV has been a partner with the show for a long time too, and they are, and they do have a fantastic uh, backstory to them as well. I didn't, you know, I felt like Assault was headed in that direction. I didn't realize that it was coming, and, and of course, you know, Frank knows. Because <laughs> you know, I should just call you when I think about something. And you're like, yeah, let me go ahead and tell you, Jared, what exactly is going on. Yeah, it's funny because I called Matello. I said, uh, so you're selling, huh? He says, how do you know? <laughs> <laughs> but, but, and I, I didn't want to miss this. Uh, the Turbo Lady 5 has the, has the Rockford Flapsgate uh, um, Ultimate System in it. And that is the first car, Jared, that I have not put a, uh, an aftermarket stereo in. That system is just awesome the way it comes. And uh, so I really appreciated uh, you know, not having to have uh, 25 wire, miles of wire. <laughs> no doubt. I mean, that's to your point, Frank, the stuff coming out of the box now is almost so good that the it, it's obviously it's not getting rid of the customization isn't going away. But uh, it is so good that sometimes you can be like, well, I think I don't need to do anything. <laughs> No, no, for sure. And and trust me, from somebody who has torn apart 17 cars, in fact, uh, I forget which vendor it was called me when we were doing a stereo. He said, you know, Frank, I got the dash off, and there's 12 miles of wire under here. What's yeah. the deal? Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I was thrilled not to having uh, uh, to do that on, on, the, uh, on the Turbo 85, which is that 2021 Polaris Ultimate, I think it's called. Man. And uh, 
and the system rocks. It is great. Is the is Turbo Lady Five complete, Frank? Is it done totally now? No, <laughs> no, never, never. So we, she just, you know, and I'm old school, so uh, LED lights are a big thing with me. So she just had her wheel LED wheel rings installed. And uh, so we're doing a stage three uh, tune upgrade from aftermarket assassins. Um, I am uh, playing with uh, a heads up display for the windshield so that I can see temperatures of engine temperature and speed RPMs on the windshield. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So, you know, I, I just, uh, you know, I'm kind of driven to push the envelope and it's funny because four years ago on one of my cars, I had, st I had stereo controls on my steering wheel. And uh, Pat from Polaris laughed at me. So I said, hey, the last time I have to take my hands off the wheel, the better. So now, of course, the pros come with that. And I said, hey, Pat, you got steering wheel controls, huh? Yes, right. Right. Yeah, there's Frank leading the charge again. Now, Frank, I, I, I want to ask you this because you are so in touch and you've been so many places and it's a most question I get. So I like to share this with people who are listening as well. Where is Frank Keene's favorite places to ride? Where's your top spots you like to send people? Well, it all depends who I'm sending. And I hate to qualify that, but my favorite spot to ride, you know, it would be, you know, Idaho at the, at the dunes, because uh, they're the biggest dunes in the country. And, um, and uh, but I wouldn't send anybody there that wasn't experienced in duning. Um, so after that, we do a ride locally here out of a town called Española, Ojo Caliente area. And we ride all the way up to Osher, Colorado, uh, which is about a full day event. And, it, and it's uh, similar to views to Taylor Park. Uh, so that would be, a, be on the top of my list. But, you know, uh, Taylor Park and not Glamis really played out for a wide range of people with a wide range of capabilities to go there and enjoy those places. So those would be my two top donation, two top picks for destinations for people new to the sport. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Those are, those are, uh, I think top choices. We did a ride in Silverton. Have you been yeah. there? Soon? And uh, that place is amazing. Yeah, but but as you if you're thinking in my train of thought, I would not send a new rider to Silverton. No, I mean you know they do have Players Adventures location there, and you can do it. I, I you're right. It, it it wouldn't be someone who's new would feel overwhelmed and intimidated just because of the elevation and where you're riding and some of the terrain there. But yeah. if you're if you've if you're somewhat of an experienced rider and you're looking for that sort of. Uh, destination to to drive to or to fly to and then get a vehicle uh that's a great that's just it's it's a you know obviously the timing has to be good for that it's you know you can't get up there until like after fourth of july because of the snowpack but uh we went in late august and uh it was just gorgeous it was just, yeah. the, the window there is very small i will say this the, the window yeah. there is very small maybe a couple of months and that's about I it know family type things i don't think there's any place better than north glamis because they can ride all day and then they can come back and the uh, wife and the family can soak in the, in the hot tub pools you're right you're right we have been there too and then and people who haven't been there are totally missing out and on, on the north glamis i think that's i don't know if it's 
still a secret or just everyone, you know, obviously brings their campers or trailers or whatever and just goes to Glamis. But North Glamis isn't Glamis. Um, yeah. it is it is just like the name is there but it really is more like desert riding there and they do have these hot spring pools there that uh, are awesome it is i mean they have a restaurant there as well and i think there are some accommodations if you don't have any that you can stay there and rent but uh um talk about a pretty neat spot and then of course you've got places like superstition mountain and east jesus nearby if you want a, a little bit of a a ride to a, a something that's a throwback in time very california odd <laughs> if you've been to those places hotel california yes totally totally yes check in you can't check out no doubt no doubt that is a uh, very cool place frank what's next on your uh to-do list besides finishing your machine taking people on rides what's kind of going on in your brain for the next big thing well you know i want to continue to develop the concept of Razorville and see if other people across the country are uh, interested in establishing those types of things in their areas. And, and I could uh, uh, educate them a little bit about, you know, what works and what doesn't work. And, uh, you know, it's kind of like the adventure thing, but it's, it becomes a, uh, you know, a permanent location. Um, you know, we have people that have been coming since I opened the gates that are there every single weekend. They don't ride anyplace else. And then, uh, um, you know, it works out well because it's controlled and, and uh, I've had city council and mayors and, and uh, fish and game come down and, and participate in the events. And the more of that I can do, then the more acceptance there is, I think, of this sport and, and other areas of the country. Uh, because, you know, as you know, there's, there's difficulties and, and we're facing closures, land closures, and a variety of areas across the country. And I'd like to try and uh, do my best to prevent those and say, hey, wait a minute, you know, you can do this the right way and, and we can show you that we're a responsible group. And, you know, when I did Taylor Park, I think by the third year, Jared, they came back and said that we added a million dollars to their economy every year. Wow. And uh, so it becomes a win-win for everybody, you know, responsible use of the land, um, responsible use of the machines, people enjoying themselves and, uh so I'd just like to try and, you know, expand that passion because um, there are other areas of the country that uh, uh, don't do this type of stuff. And we seem to have a lot more of, uh, of uh, public disdain for off-roading groups that, that are not, you know, following some of these rules and regulations. No doubt. No doubt. Well, Frank, you've been doing it for a really long time. You're a wealth of information and uh, it's been a uh, thrill to have you on the show. Before we go, I got to mention our friends at Quad Boss. They've been around for 20 years, uh, not as old as Frank, but they've been around a long time nonetheless. Uh, they make dependable parts, where, whether you're a rider, rancher, farmer, and hunter. Again, having those accessories and parts is just part of what you need to do when you are off-roading. Uh, they want to make work feel like play. You want to depend on your machine to do the job, and Quad Boss offers the parts to do that with their tires, starters, axles, and a ton of other accessories. Everything you need to do to get the job done. Frank, I appreciate it. I feel like now when we're planning our next season that Razorville in New Mexico is going to be on our list. Come out and see you and ride a few of those 800 miles that you're talking about out there. Yeah, I appreciate it. I look forward to seeing you guys.
Yeah. All right, Frank, been a pleasure. Take care. And uh, I know we will see you soon on the trails. On the trails. Thank you, sir. That does it for another edition of the Destination Polaris podcast. Please be sure to download us on anywhere you listen to your podcast, Spotify, Apple, all those sort of great places. And uh, next time, be sure to listen in because I believe we will be talking about Baja. We'll talk to you again soon.